हेलो वेलकम टू द सेल्फ लर्निंग पॉडकास्ट बाय डॉक्टर सुषमा सिंह लेट अस स्टार्ट डिस्कशन ऑन यूनिट ट्वेंटी थ्री डिसेंट्रलाइजेशन द रोड अहेड एंड आवर टॉपिक इज एडमिनिस्ट्रेटिव डिसेंट्रलाइजेशन लिमिटेशन ऑन डेवल्यूशन ऑफ फाइनेंशियल पावर्स रिलेट्स क्लोजली टू परफॉर्मेंस ऑन एडमिनिस्ट्रेटिव डिसेंट्रलाइजेशन विच हैज ऑल्सो बीन वेरी लिमिटेड despite formal provision for transfer of responsibilities to the lower tier of local government and legislation governing transfer of development functions to gram panchayats progress has been uneven in practice few, few states have devolved significant decision making responsibilities to local governments mirrored by a lack of real financial devolution the role of local officials is largely confined to the implementation of development programs health and education programs are formulated by line ministries at the state level with responsibility for implementation assigned to bureaucrats in local government jurisdiction elected representatives have minimal influence over the local development priorities and exercise limited oversight over line department officials most states have been unable to effect transfer of staff from the state to the lower tiers of government senior bureaucrats resist transfer on the ground that the educational opportunities are more restricted outside the major urban centers and because of the possible consequences on future promotions public sector trade unions resist efforts to transfer staff or to downsize state administrative establishments no state in india has managed to make significant progress on staff transfer to local governments or to ensure effective oversight by elected representatives over local officials bureaucrats in local governments especially gram panchayat secretaries continue to exercise considerable influence over elected representatives as they are privy to information contained in government orders that may not be readily accessible to elected representatives who lack an understanding of official procedures or basic literacy skills from this brief review we return to the question raised at the outset what is the balance sheet for panchayati raj and urban bodies after a decade of reforms in the decade following the passing into the law of the 73rd and 74th constitutional amendments progress on implementation of the panchayati raj and the municipal reforms have been patchy and uneven achievements from any political decentralization have not been matched either by financial or administrative decentralization the powers and responsibilities of elected representatives remain 
highly circumscribed. Dominant interest at the village level continue to exercise considerable influence through proxy representatives. Based on the criteria of deepening democracy, there is little doubt that the reforms in the local government in the early 1990s have widened the terrain of political engagement, while affirmative action has broadened participation in local institutions, even while there are enduring constraints on the powers and responsibilities of the elected officials. On the developmental impact of the reforms, it is more difficult to make generalizations since the powers of panchayats vary considerably across states. Scattered evidence suggests that anti-poverty programs are targeted more effectively to the poorest as a result of greater participation and oversight by local bodies in which scheduled caste and women now have statutory representation. But also that the panchayats remain vulnerable to elite capture and the resources at their disposal are relatively small. As we have seen, a small number of states continue to make study progress in the implementation of reforms to strengthen Panchayati Raj institutions through increased resource flows to Panchayats or by empowering Gram Sabha to demand accountability from elected representatives and government officials. But in most states, especially in the Hindi-speaking belt, where poverty levels are greatest, panchayats have not been granted adequate powers and resources and their impact remains modest. It is possible to discern a number of common factors in those states that have genuinely sought to strengthen the powers and responsibilities of the panchayati raj institutions. Despite differences of politics and ideology, three sets of conditions are common to these states. A politically committed leadership, a supportive legislative and policy environment, and reasonably effective government institutions. An active civil society also helps to promote state action through advocacy and monitoring of progress on implementation of the constitutional provisions. Non-government organizations can play a supportive role by offering training for elected representatives and local officials and information about the powers and responsibilities granted to panchayat institutions. But their role is not critical to successful outcomes as the West Bengal experience suggests. Now the next topic is issues ahead. In regard to making PRIs and municipal bodies functional and effective, there are some scholars who have expressed serious doubts 
about the wisdom of the constitutional amendment. For example, Nirmal Mukherjee raises issues like, can a constitutional provision by itself be an adequate substitute of political will? Give the, given the harsh realities of the states, would these statuses be implemented in letter and spirit, or would they remain laws on paper only? Is implementing decentralization below the state level through the most centralizing of all conceivable instruments a constitutional amendment desirable? Besides, Mukherjee held the view that a constitutional amendment could well mean trusting a uniform prescription on states which are wildly dis disparate of administrative culture in historical background and in demographic size. The arguments put forward by Mukherjee may be valid, but there is no doubt that the constitutional amendment was highly desirable for creating vibrant grassroots democratic institutions in the country. However, some issues relating to the amendment need to be emphasized here. The uniform three tiers of PRI for states having more than 20 lakh population has its own limitation so far structural differences are concerned and so is the case of states and union territories having less than 20 lakh population. It would have been better had it been left to state's discretion. The constitutional amendment bill when introduced had the provision for direct election to the post of chairpersons at the village and intermediate level. At the district level, it was left to the state legislature to decide. The joint committee of parliament looked into this question but advocated for the direct election only at the village level. The Marxist members of the committee had objected to direct elections at any level, but in order to achieve unanimity, they suggested that the issue of election of the chairperson at the village level may be left to the state legislatures. Without going into the plus or minus points of indirect or direct election, it may be said that the direct elections to the post of chairpersons are more in conformity with the presidential form of government and indirect election with the cabinet form of government. The later one has been adopted in India. A major lacuna in the act is the contradictory and inconsistent approach to the idea of Panchayati Raj being the institutions of self-government. The bill had rightly defined the Panchayas as an institution of self-government but later in defining the functions of these institutions had narrowed them down to developmental functions. As in Article 243GA and b to our mind without policing law and order 
as a function at each level no institution of self-government is worth the name. Since the idea of district government or third tier of governance has come into being, its important point is sadly missing. Nirmal Mukherjee in this regard rightly suggests that the, this dilution of concept of institution of self-governance is flawed thinking and drafting. The past experience suggests that wherever panchayas have not taken roots or they have been uprooted after brief spell of success, it has been observed that the MPs and MLAs have not been friendly to these institutions. Apart from being indifferent to local governments, they have also been hostile to these bodies. They do not like to see another center of power emerging as a challenge, nor they do like to see once existing powers being diluted in an attempt to associate their feelings and to promote any mischief from them. The MPs and MLAs have been given the membership and voting rights in the panchayas in the act now passed. This will certainly undermine the panchayas which we aim to strengthen. Yet another disturbing feature of PRIs is the MPs and MLAs, local area development schemes. Many may not agree with our apprehension, but it is almost certain that these schemes will further strengthen the stronghold of MPs and MLAs over the local communities and the basic concept of empowering the grassroots democratic institutions may be fortified. A crucial question not yet visible is with the states being asked by the PRIs to give more powers and departments to them, when will the center devolve more powers to states? This question will have to be answered, if not today, then in the near future. Reservation of one-third seats and chairperson for women is a step forward, salient revolution. It is our firm belief that a social transformation aimed at women could be achieved by PRIs, but the initial task is beset with enormous difficulties for women. Now let us wind up the session and thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.